At this point, I'd like to mention uh, that when uh, the annual conference has been held in the Tri-Cities for the last two years, and since where the ground where the convention center sits is considered sacred to the Native Americans, we always have a blessing by a member of the White Swan Congregation to open the conference. So I would like to just, just uh, dispel that blessing onto you today. Our scriptures today, the first one is uh, from Ephesians, and according to Wesley, in this passage, Paul is praying that the people will be strengthened through faith and grasp the full knowledge of God's love so they may love each other in return, that they may be filled with God's fullness, all his light, love, wisdom, holiness, power, and glory. Ephesians three, fourteen through 21 For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and that and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Our gospel is a familiar story from John but I'd like you to listen to it with new, year, new ears and an open mind to the possibilities this text presents other than just the words that we read. John 6, 1 through 21. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was, that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what will they be among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There, there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. When Jesus took the loaves and he had, when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they had filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. 
The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were rowing. This is God's word. You will now get three different perspectives of the annual conference. And we'll start with Amy, who um, also took all the pictures at annual conference, and she's going to share some of those with you today. Hi. So me and Karen Kwan, the person in the front, we were your Seattle Young People delegates. And in the back is Patrick. He's the youth and, and young adult person of the conference. Uh, me and Karen, we, being the delegates, we, we are also background people. We did photos. We did slideshows. We made sure the bishop had his food and, and other stuff. This is this photo during the d during the opening worship of the conference. This is our DS Pat Simpson. She gave the message. This was like we did here was the prayer throwing. This was Donna Wilson from White Swan. She gave us the opening blessing. The bishop and his wife. This is Amory Pet. She was the outgoing um, later, and, and next door is Joan Holmes, the, the one that's for the next four years. And this is Deacon Katie and Alder Jeff. They were given the robe of Elijah during the, during the retirement service. <laughs> and so young people are very involved in in Hots, but they're also involved in their local churches and campus ministries. My campus ministry in Ellensburg as as central space. We have now be become a group on campus where we've gotten so big they have to meet meet on campus. And this past spring break we went to Glide with uh, Western, and we serve over a thousand meals each day to each to, to all the people of, of uh, San Francisco. And I also received from the conference this year a scholarship for, to help pay for college. I want to thank you guys for that as well. Thank you. My name is Courtney Pazon, and I was one of your two delegates from the church. There were one other young adult. There was one other young adult who was also a delegate from a different church. So out of all the churches in the conference, only two sent young adult delegates. So I thank you for sending me. Two of our speakers at annual conferences, Jim Winkler and Diana Butler-Bass. But we first started out on Thursday night with a meeting with the laity. The laity are everyone, as everyone present who is not clergy, and the focus of the meeting was to challenge our perceptions of what annual conference could mean from the get-go. Patrick's given the one with the really weird face. 
To start out with, led this conversation with a focus on media playing an important role in how we get the message of church to the community. Twitter was a focus. Patrick helped us understand that Justin Bieber and other celebrities may have many fans and many followers. Followers are people who are updated when a post is submitted by the celebrity online. Yet these followers are only looking at what the celebrities are writing. The reactions per 50,000 followers is actually higher with religious figures than with celebrities, meaning that Max Lucado and Dalai Lama are getting more responses for the total number of followers than Justin Bieber. This shows us that social media can play a role in the church, and using social media to find information about our church, such as a Google image of our church entrances, given that they're so hard to find, or our, our website can possibly increase the traffic we see in the use of our building. What we do with this traffic, these people engaging in the church through social media, was the second part of the discussion. How do we get a target audience? How do we find the people we want to bring in? And from then, the gauntlet was thrown down for our response when we came home. Would the community that surrounds our church be any different if Aldersgate did not exist? Jim Winkler is the general secretary for the General Board of Church and Society. Jim Winkler has re-energized the work of the board around a three-part vision to help United Methodists link mercy and justice, to connect the work of the board with local churches and annual conferences around the globe, and to be the premier denominational advocacy agency on Capitol Hill. To this day, the United Methodist Building is the only um, privately owned building on Capitol Hill. Um, it's been there since um, teetotaling, since United Methodists had supported um, lack of alcohol and across the nation. So it's been there and it's a historical part of our connection to the country. Jim started off with a recognition of what has made Christians who seek social justice so effective, stating that prophets were sent to challenge the status quo, that the prophets were not considered conservative but radical for their communities. The question is, what is God calling to be the current challenge to the status quo? Jim continued the social justice push with a recognition of Social Justice Sunday, but also focusing that he would rather a church focus on being faithful to the gospel than worrying about having people in the pews on Sunday. One of my favorite parts of annual conference was when the laity met with the guest speakers without the clergy who had their own meetings to attend. This is when Jim Winkler took the time to challenge us, stating that most who come through the doors of our church will see Jesus and get to know Jesus through us, not through our pastor and his sermons. How we interact with each other, how we so spiritually engage in conversations surrounding controversy, and how we engage the community will be more meaningful than sermons preached up here on Sunday morning. Jim Winkler specifically talked about outreach in our community, asking the laity to prompt pastors to take risks and become more charged in regards to social justice, stating that we can not become a Christian in church any more than a car can become a car while sleeping in a garage. And more specifically asking, are we Christ's church or does UMC stand for upper middle class? Now we must get out and engage our mission field to become a church that would be missed if we were to disappear. 
Diana Butler Bass is an Episcopalian with a PhD in Religious Studies from Duke University, whose newest best-selling book is called Christianity After Religion. You can also find articles she's written on Huffington Post. Diana started out with an overview on the climate of Christianity in the United States, stating that like the weather, we often extrapolate the little. It's sunny, so that must be mean it will be a great day, and fail to look at the big picture. We can see that our church could be considered steady. We have young families and children, a youth group, the token young adults. We pay our apportionments, but the climate of Christianity as a whole is changing. The traditional measures of religious life are falling. The number of people who believe in God when pulled over the phone is decreasing. But if you remember back to the responses on Twitter, people are looking to find answers to their questions. We have podcast sermons, we have a website, emails, what's next? Diana focused on how traditional forms of Christian education of creating a Christian community is failing in this new environment. That the idea of learning through study, through those who came before, might not be connecting with the current generation. This is emphasized when added to the key events from 2001 to 2004, 9-11, scandal in the Roman Catholic Church, exclusions of demographics by mainline denominations, and evangelical entanglements with politics in 2004. Looking at these four years, it seems obvious that people would be wary of religion of any kind. Diana Butler Bass stated that a hundred years from now, church historians will wonder how we survived and will look for how we responded. What will that response look like? With so much of the population rebuffing religion and religious theology, the transition has changed some of the vocabulary when discussing religion. The truth is that the church will soon be built upon the young adults, and the number of young adults and young clergy have only, has only been decreasing. This is because many people are considering themselves spiritual and not religious. When you look at the popular definition, not the dictionary definition of spiritual and religious, you can understand why people might be avoiding us. Spirituality is considered an experience that connects one with a deeper sense of self, and the divine, wherein authority is validated through internal sources. Religion, by popular definition, is considered an institution that has organized matters pertaining to belief and that derives authority from external sources. Diana Butler Bass recognizes that the Pacific Northwest, specifically Seattle and Portland, has a higher percentage of those who consider themselves spiritual over religious than the rest of the country. In the second session with Ms. Butler Bass, she focused on meeting the needs of those we often forget, those in the community who might consider them spiritual or a mix of spiritual and religious, that many in our community don't consider spiritual and religious as something that can coexist. Do we, as a church, Consider the spiritual segment of the population. She asks us to examine the church services and the activities happening to pull out our GPS, circling items that we believe to be religious in red and spiritual in green and examine the ratio present. How do we create a change to be more welcome to those who might be spiritually based to go to our communities around us? Diana considers a change in the organizational structure of what it takes to become a member in the Methodist Church. A change from 
behavior, learning, and belonging, to belonging, believing, and then behavior. You can look up more of your books or ask me about that later. Both Jim Winkler and Diana Butler Bass were positive about the abilities of the Methodist Church, confident that we can reach into our communities to be Christ in our neighborhood, that we can become a church that we'd be missed if we went away. Being a young adult at annual conference is a lot of fun. There's really not very many of us, so we get a lot of attention. Yet the sad fact is that churches consider youth and adults to be such a novelty that we are considered to be regular attendees if we attend church once every four weeks. I continually ask myself what I might be doing or what our church might be doing or the what the conference might be doing that we consider attending once every four weeks to be satisfactory or that we think that that's all they're going to want to come because of what we currently are. I believe that if we gauge our community where they feel a need and understand that the next generation feels a connection not only to religion but to the spiritual, that we can be a church where the community would feel a void if we were to disappear. As a young adult, I look forward to the next four years. We often met the church to do with quadrennials, four-year time periods. Looking toward General Conference in Portland in 2016 in hopes that we can send a message to the world church of what a socially-minded, community-grounded church can look like in the time when religion has a negative connotation. Everybody fed. Hope for tomorrow. This was the theme at this year's annual conference. And at this point, I'd like us to reflect on the scriptures that were read today. What does it mean to be full? Full of God, as Paul talked about in the letter to the Ephesians. When all are fed, are we not full, whether we are fed physically and with the nourishment that sustains life, or fed with the peace, tranquility, and spirituality that is life? How many ways can everyone be fed? Our church is doing a very good job of providing the physical food for our community. But what is holding us back from providing the spiritual food. I think when someone comes through our doors, they usually come back because we are indeed a warm and welcoming congregation. But my question is, how do we get them through the doors? What holds people back? I know some of the answers because I've asked the questions. Some are afraid of being chastised for their sins. Some feel they don't have the right clothes or money for the collection plate. Some feel they may be pressured to change their lives when they're really quite satisfied with the lives the way they are. What we need to do is to convince them that their lives will just be enhanced. These questions are also being asked at the conference level. What is being discovered is that what isn't working is the old corporate method of church, 
we advertise, then we sit back and wait for the customers to buy our product. Instead, the new model is that we need to embrace, what the new model we need is to embrace, we need to embrace is to take church to the people. The new storefront churches that have been established are thriving because they are feeding people what they need to be fed, not what they think should they, sh what, not what we think they should be fed. So what about the story of the loaves and fishes? Some believe it is literally, literally true that Jesus provided a miracle that increased the small amount to feed all the people. Others say that what really happened was that everyone shared what they had, no matter how much or how little, so that everyone was fed. I'd like to submit that it may have been a different type of feeding. Maybe it was such a feeding of the spirit